This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin, and with me this week, two fantastic human beings, Kate Scotchless. Hello. And Kate Lamphere. Hi. Thank you both for joining me this week. I'm very excited. I'm I'm stupendously excited to talk about this week's topic. Uh, but before we get into that, I've got a couple quick reminders for folks. Just so you know, if you haven't been listening to the show for a long time, we are taking the month of July off as we do every summer. We're going to be off for five weeks straight. So get ready for five weeks of minisodes and everything. But we will be back in August to talk about all sorts of regular stuff. But just so you know, we're going to be off for five weeks. So there's not like a big emergency. It's just a summer break. And the other thing I want to call out... We are doing a Discord hangout on July 10th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you are not already on the Discord, you should go join that today. Send me a message to let me know that you're on, where you came from, and you can come and hang out with us. Like literally audible, talk to us with your voice kind of hangout in Discord, and we're going to have a great time. Who knows? We might play some games or just talk about comics, all sorts of stuff. It's a wild time every time you get together, so we hope to see you all there. Um, but yeah, let's let's get into this. Um, as I said, it's the podcast, you know, it's it's a regular week. It feels like we've been on and off nonstop, so I just don't even know how to run the show anymore. But anyways, I'm going to ask the question I ask every single week, which is how have you been and how have comic books been? Let's start with you, Kate Scotchless. I've been good. I absolutely adored the book we're talking about this week and spent a lot of time reading that this week. Um, so I haven't actually read a lot else other than this big, big old OGN we're going to talk about. Um, but mm-hmm. I have been back on Webtoon a bit, and Ooh. I absolutely live for updates to poorly drawn lines, which is, it, they had their own website, but they moved it, um, or rather, I guess it's on both their website and um, Webtoon. Um, so it's by Riza. I don't, that's like the whole thing that's posted, but they're just, they're so perfect. I have some of the books. I should have looked to see the full name of the person on there, but I didn't. But Poorly Drawn Lens is the best, like the funniest little comics where everything, everyone's an animal. And it's like each one works on its own, but also they're a series. So they kind of mm-hmm. build on each other to be funnier sometimes because you kind of get the characters. We we talked about this. This is one of our Goodreads book of the months. Like uh, I want to say earlier this oh, year, wasn't John it? Lines was. Yeah, I yeah. We don't th- remember we read that the first, at all. But okay. Yeah, we read the first volume of of like the collected edition of this. Um, it was a lot of just strip comics. Yeah, right? they're so good. And then I also have started reading a new one that's online on Webtoon called Laura. Mm-hmm. It's a fantasy comic that's also crime slash mystery. And it just started, so it's an. It comes out every Tuesday right now, and it is. It takes really good advantage of that format of the scrolling, the um, vertical scrolling on the phone, and it's about a boy named Ollie who has the secret, um, but now he has to trust his friends, and time's running out, and so they're like uh, trying to help him, but also trying to find out the truth behind his problem to like try and save him. And it's very cute in, in the sense that it's about kids. It is, I like the art style and colors, especially the color on my phone um, pops really nicely. And it feels more comics like that I'd get in a volume than comics that are I usually read on Webtoon, which I like because I do prefer usually the kind of image, uh, reading image trait is like my bread and butter. And it feels like it could be reformatted into that if it wasn't in this vertical format. So, gotcha. How about you guys? 
Uh, yeah, Kate, what about you? What have you been up to? How have you been? What have you been reading? <laughs> Good. I've been reading a lot of comics, which is great. I've been reading a lot of them outside because it's nice out when it's not too hot. So that's been mm-hmm. a great difference, I guess, than reading inside all winter. I finally read a book called May that I picked up from C2E2 two years ago. Uh, the the writer and artist is Gene Ha. Uh, Rose McLean and Wesley Hartman did the colors and Xander Cannon did the letters. I was mostly just attracted to this booth at C2E2 because of this giant cutout behind the creator of a girl that's dressed like a revolutionary soldier, maybe a pirate, but she was holding these two gold axes. And I basically haven't been disappointed that that's the reason I picked this book up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the backstory is about a girl named Abby who disappeared seven years ago and just kind of like shows up again. And her sister and her, her dad have been worried about her all this time. And turns out that she's been in a magical world where she saved a whole lot of people and made a bunch of alliances and enemies. And she goes to her sister named May, who the book is uh, titled for, and she has to take her back to the magical world to save their now kidnapped father. But a bunch of Abby's enemies from that world show up and destroy their hometown in Indiana first. So they just like destroy a bunch of stuff and then they disappear. (laughs) That may be Um, the most interesting thing to happen in Indiana. (laughs) Um, the world building and the other dimensions so far is great. The fantasy races are very imaginative and well, like it's not a high tech society. There is a whole mad scientist faction where there's some really unique weapons and cyborgs. One of them has like five heads, but it's a mechanical body. It's really interesting to see what this creator came up with. There are a lot of references to Indiana culture and science fiction <laughs> pop culture especially like like the ga- the card game called the Euchre that I don't like, but everybody in Michigan and Indiana loves it. Um, right. And then there was a whole bunch of Doctor Who references. And for the most part, I really enjoyed all of these references, except that sometimes like they would be a little bit too one after the other. And it was like, okay, I get it. Like, <laughs> um, And I'm really glad that I read The Back Matter because as it turns out, a lot of the names that I couldn't figure out how to pronounce are actually Czech. And I really appreciated the pronunciation glossary that was included in the back of the book for this. And then also it was a really unique way, I thought, to show the presence of other like Earth humans that wasn't like they aren't all just American in this in this fantasy book that that Mm -hmm. wandered into this other dimension. There's like there's, there's references to all these different cultures, and then a lot of the names are Czech. Um, volume 1 is on Hoopla, and then I was looking for Volume 2. I couldn't find Volume 2, but they do have issues 7 through 10. I don't know if that that is the rest I of the series when that not. happens on Hoopla. Where, or they'll yeah. have, like, Volume 1, 2, and 5 or something. Right, so I'm hoping that that's the rest of the story, because the first volume that I picked up It's definitely not the whole story. It doesn't even feel like it's a whole arc. It kind of ends on a like, okay, we're here in this fantasy world. These are our goals. These are our allies and enemies. Like it sets it up. Like Mm -hmm. it's a really good like midpoint in a story, but it's not the whole story. So I hope the rest of it's on Hoopla. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I, this, this sounds really cool. I've always enjoyed Gene Ha's art. So this, this sounds really fun. Yeah. That's one of the reasons I picked it up. It's because I liked the art so much. Very cool. Well, for me, uh, I've been all right. I have had like a nonstop week of weird work where all I want to do at the end of the day is read One Piece, which I have been. (laughs) And for those of you who are keeping track at home, I am 
just passed chapter 500. I just read 502, um, which means that if the book continues to come out on a weekly basis or a biweekly basis, I have to read like 28 chapters a week. Um, I I don't know. I'm going to catch up before chapter 1000 comes out, but it's happening. Um, But I did actually read some other stuff when uh, I wasn't getting my toenails painted by my wife uh, (laughs) because she decided out of the blue the other night that she wanted to I don't know, wash my feet and then paint my toenails, which was like very nice. And I am very thankful for that. But and now I have these beautiful purple toenails. <laughs> um, but I did I did sit down and read uh, Bog Bodies by Declan Shelby uh, with art by Gil- Gavin Fullerton and Rebecca Nulty. It's a really short OGN about uh, crime gone wrong and inevitability. Uh, I talked about this on our Discord book club that we've been doing like every three weeks. So if you're not on that, I highly suggest you, you come and hang out and talk comics with us. But um, ultimately, I felt like this was an okay graphic novel. I think coming out of Declan Shelby's previous book, uh, Savage Town, this book was a bit of a flop in comparison because i felt the story lacked a lot of meat um it, it, it was straightforward to the point i understood what was happening like there was no confusion um and the suspense in the story of this kid being chased by people because he had screwed up um was was completely there from beginning to end but that being said by the end of it it kind of just ended there was no real turn there was there was a twist on the overall story but on the whole like as far as the characters that were involved there didn't seem to be anything consequential outside of death which maybe sounds like me being numb to the idea of a character dying but i was kind of waiting for a big turn in the story to reveal something and that never came um and maybe that's just me coming from savage town but i felt like this book was just okay like i would give this a you know three out of five um compared to savage town which i think i rated a bit higher so um yeah i i I would say recommend i would recommend this if you want like a quick kind of dark crime story to get through and i wouldn't even say this is fully crime because it's more about character exploration and i said like death and inevitability but um yeah i i yeah, I read it. It was it was okay. Um, the other thing I want to talk about really quick, I read The Girl from the Other Side, Volume 4. This is by Nagabe. I talked about this on the show before. Um, it's a story about outsiders and people that live on the inside of the city walls called Insiders. And this one little girl who, for some reason, is very, very special. Um, she's not really the focal character of the story, but she is the central piece of the story. Um, and by Volume 4, a lot of things have changed. The lore of the story about what outsiders are, these, these beasts that are cloaked in shadow that somehow don't remember who they are but they have distinct personalities um there's a lot to explore in it and i don't want to reveal anything because i feel like after volume one the entire thing is spoilers so um yeah i really recommend this series it's beautiful the one last thing i'll talk about is i read haraku no excuse me yeah haraku no go volume one this is written by yumi hoda with illustrations by takeshi obata and you may recognize that name as the artist on the series death note so if you like the the art in death note you can read stuff by that same artist before they honed their skills i would say (laughs) um but nonetheless this is a, a story that's about ghosts and the board game go like the ancient game of go um and there's there's a lot of very standard shonen manga pieces to this book but i think that for a book that came out in i think 1999 this book really doesn't fall down too many of the paths of something like a pokemon or a a Yu-Gi-Oh, where everything is just i'm the greatest and blah 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 i think they twist the idea of a protagonist prodigy if i'm saying that word right um and use this idea of a ghost person who has all of this knowledge about the game go um 
to allow our protagonist to kind of succeed. Uh, I, I'm not doing a good job of explaining this book, but it's really, really fun. And I couldn't stop myself from reading by chapter three. Like the first two are a bit hard to get through, but by chapter three, I was sucked in and I had to force myself to stop at the last chapter of the volume as I was reading on the Shonen, Shonen Jump app because it's so compelling. Um, and they really, really drive forward this idea of the character, the main character, Haraku, not wanting to play Go. But by the end of the volume, he's like, hold on a second. I think that there's something to this. While this ghost character who's like helping him play and beat all of these people that are very good at Go um, say, no, see, there's more to this game. And I think there was there's a lot to the story. And I know that it's pretty short. 23 volumes is short so in my mind short. compared to. It's so short in comparison <laughs> to fucking It's barely working. there. It's like you blink <laughs> no, it's, and it's over. <laughs> exactly exactly um I, my whole bar of understanding for wh what the length of a manga series should be has been totally broken by you know naruto and one piece and bleach and stuff and i'm only reading the big three of course everything seems if really it short but last for over a decade did it even run that's the kate you're, you're right inside <laughs> my brain get out get out of it um but yeah, so I, I read that and it, it was pretty good. I think I'm definitely going to keep reading that um, when I'm not binging through um, One Piece and catching up on, you know, the recent chapters of My Hero Academia, Time Time Ghost Paradox, um, or excuse me, Ghost Time Ghost Rider Paradox, Ghost Rider Paradox. You guys out there, I don't know what it's called, but it's fantastic. Um, anyways, I'm going to stop talking because I'm going to ask you guys about no, what books you're no, excited for this upcoming week. My <laughs> yes. <laughs> the girl from the other side is one of the only manga series that I've like really enjoyed. And I wish so badly that I could read up to the point you're at, but with the inner library loan system shut down right now in Michigan, mm -hmm. I can't do that because my library doesn't have any of it, which is sad. Um, but I'm wondering if there's a reason why you feel like manga is all you're reading right now versus like a mix like you typically do. I mean, recently it's, I don't know, I've, with comics being paused, I was just kind of binging things. And so I was just still binging stuff. Like I'm way behind on all of my single issues. I read yeah. a handful, like I read Outer Darkness and Chew crossover. I read Die, but it's been really hard to find drive to sit down and read Western books. I don't, I don't know why. There's because something there's about manga reading. that's just so easy. Like there's, Say that again, Kate. There's more reading maybe in the American comics. No, I, manga, like One Piece is so full of dialogue. It's gross. Um, but it's it's this idea of a consistent ongoing story that I think really keeps okay. pulling me back in. Um, whereas a lot of these other books, I don't know, like I, it's it's given me like a lot of push to like cull back my pull list even more. But I'm worried that I'm going to do it to a point where I'm barely even reading any Western books. And I don't I don't know why. Uh, manga for some reason is just really really compelling and i also think that part of that is like i'm definitely more driven to um ogns and limited series and stuff yeah. now in western books because i feel like their approach to stories uh in in the same are the same way that i feel like a lot of these alternate alternative non-shonen style um manga that i'm reading are right like the girl from the other side is not a book that i think you could get published here in the united states at a major publisher, even in a Big Ten publisher, it's too slow. It's too, it's too, I, I, it's slow. I don't even know how else to describe it, but I find that so refreshing because it's such a different change and there's so much to explore, but that slow burn of a story takes a lot of trust 
Whereas here in the United States, I feel like Western books, they need a punch in the first issue. Otherwise, yeah. you're not getting anything, whether that's a physical punch or a major twist in the story. Yeah. Um, no, I, know I feel like mean. that's part of the problem. But that is also that that also is a problem, not of just the industry of the people creating the books, because I think that there are people out there creating these stories. That's why these OGNs exist. Like on a sunbeam, I think when we're going to we're going to talk about that later in the episode is a perfect example of something that I think works in that same vein. But the problem is getting it published as an ongoing series is tough because of the release schedule that I think comics have here in the United States. And I'm not asking for, you know, a weekly release schedule like they have in Japan, but I think that that helps keep people hooked on your story. Um, but yeah, we, we can, I don't know, we can talk about it more. I honestly, this is, we, I know we talked about this a bunch on the show. Um, and it's, it's just, I find myself falling into manga as like, as a fallback because there's, so much of it yeah. and it's really easy to to digest compared to i don't know some western comics there's just a lot in your face yeah no and, i was curious for you yeah. personally why that was a thing when you can't read one why the man what makes the manga easier or more digestible or whatever but you know you explained that really yeah. well yeah i mean I, again i could we could go into this more but i my my personal take is i just find reading manga a lot easier um for some reason, at least recently. Yeah. But I mean, that, that being said, I did pick up like those Western books. Like I picked up Chew, Outer Darkness slash Chew, that crossover. And I picked up Die. And those books are cake because I'm so invested in those stories. Mm -hmm. So I think it's it's also like a, just a level of investment. Um, and yeah, I don't know. X-Books, I read all my X-Books, whether I like them or not. But <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just behind on some stuff. But anyways, let's, let's talk about comic books that are coming out this upcoming week. Comics are dropping on July 1st, 2020. This is the only, only week we'll be talking about comics in July, unfortunately, because we're taking that break. But let's see what everyone's excited for. I'm going to kick it over to Kate Lamphere to start. Yeah, I'm excited for actually two different books that are both from First Second. They're part of a new series called History Comics, and the titles are Great Chicago Fire by Alex Groudon and Kate Hannigan, Hannigan uh, and The Roanoke Colony by Chris Schweitzer. And I had read The Donner Party by Nathan Halleck a few months ago, and I ended up doing some research to find more books that are in that same vein, like these these historical retellings of real events that may or may not include fictional characters and these these two titles end up popping up and aside from just being this like non-fiction retelling the roanoke colony description makes it sound like a mystery that you get to solve while you're reading the book because sure the roanoke colony like it is a mystery it's a historical mystery and and while some people feel like that's been solved maybe it really has been solved i don't know that much about it which is why i want to read this book um there was a lot of elements like historically about where these people might have disappeared to so i really feel like making this into some kind of uh historical based mystery book is a really good idea and i'm i'm interested to see how they manage that in this series that seems to kind of be geared toward children um mm -hmm. And then the description for the Great Chicago Fire says that the book follows a brother and sister team that end up finding a puppy and rescue it from the from the fire as well as themselves. Oh, no. So basically what I'm saying is that both of these things have more going for them than just being two cool new books from first second. Although if that's sure. all they were, I'd still be into it because I've said before that I'm constantly impressed by first second. And then I also have this affection for nonfiction comics that I've never been able to grasp in prose books, unfortunately, for some reason. 
Um, so I'm really interested to see how the series is going to be received by the market and if we'll end up getting more books like this out of the comic book industry. So are these full-length OGNs, like 100-plus pages, or are they more like a comic issue that you pick up? They're OGNs. Yeah, they're self-contained. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty much how First Second uh, puts out books. Okay. Yeah, for the most part. Uh, what about you, Kate? What are you excited for this upcoming week? Well, you or had, in, in the upcoming weeks, I should say. You, you may not have heard of this little publisher called First Second, uh, but they put out a lot of good stuff. <laughs> and uh, it turns out they have a new Box Brown book coming out as well. So I also picked yes. an OGN. Um, this one's called Child Star, and it's a fictional documentary-style graphic novel about this kid growing up in the spotlight. He's like in a sitcom and stuff like that, and how it like robs them of their like an actual childhood. Um, Mm -hmm. So like I looked at the description and I looked at the previews pages and I'm like, am I ready to be heard again? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I am. So that's, that's where I am at. I, to be completely honest though, we'll probably hold off on this one for the library. Having uh, the OGN price tag attached is a little much right now, but it is only $20, which I thought was pre- really cheap for a first, second book. Um, yeah. So who knows? Maybe maybe I'll get desperate and get it. It depends on how quickly. I don't know if libraries are like purchasing books right now because their budgets are all kind of up in the air with how devastating uh, financially to a lot of towns this uh, pandemic stuff has been. So. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I know my friend who's a librarian um, can't like this is the time of year for school libraries that they're usually putting in like tons of orders. And that's like a big part of your job over the summer as a librarian. You do like the inventory and then a bunch of ordering, but they can't order anything right now because there's no uh, no budget. So there's everything's completely frozen on hold. Um, this is for a high school library, but apparently that's like happening all over the place. And they're all just going like kind of making the list, but like as a wish list versus um, actually being able to order. Anything. So point being, I might end up buying this if that kind of thing is happening at my local library as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. I, I'm very excited for this book. I I know that Box Brown, he was actually publishing the majority if not all of the pages of this book on his Patreon for a while. And I was, I was following a little bit of it and I know he did, he posted like a tweet thread, like a long while back of some pages of it. And it looks really, really cool. Like, I mean, his his style is fantastic. Which isn't surprising because his stuff always looks great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited to see him actually do something fictional though. Um, All of his previous works, if I'm not mistaken, with the exception of like, I think some zine stuff that he did have been all uh, biographical or about something like a real life event or something like that. Um, And this is this. Yeah. yeah, Like taking that same style of like the documentary style, but making it a fictional thing is an interesting next step for him. I thought, because it's still that very same style of storytelling, but he has to kind of fictionalize it, which is. Yeah cool and yeah i'm excited for i'm more interested in this topic i think and like kind of the story aspect than i am some of the other topics he's done so sure i'm ready how about you mike i i'm yeah i was gonna say i'm excited for this i'm i'm bummed that you picked it because i love me some box brown notice uh, that i got to our planning (laughs) google doc first and i went yeah yeah i'm like haha suckers (laughs) so yeah exactly 
Exactly. Well, I, I will actually talk about a single issue that is coming out. Um, I'm excited for I Can Sell You a Body Number 4. This is from IDW by Ryan Ferrier uh, and George Cambadius, I want to say. Um, this book has been a wild ride of I don't know what the hell is going on sometimes and spiritual, weird character redemption arc thing where people are falling in love and committing crimes and there is sorcery involved this book has been non-stop wild i don't know what's happening um and i think i need to reread numbers one through three because it's been a while since i've read them with number four coming out but i i've been enjoying what i've read so far even if it's a little bit quick to the punch with a lot of things um i think this is a problem you get with some limited series where you need to as i said before like with single single issue series especially whether you get number ones they've really got to slap you with something on that first issue in order to hook you and this book did that and i think it did it well but by issue two i was like whoa we don't we don't need any more of these slaps to the face but (laughs) as the series goes has gone on i I think that's kind of the thing of the book and so i think rereading the first three issues and then getting into number four is going to do me a lot of favors um to catch up and make sure that i understand everything that's going on and why all of these very sudden twists and turns have happened and not that the book is complicated by any means but there are there were some moments where i was like huh I guess those characters decided to do that and there doesn't seem to be any drive for it or any solid reasoning for it. But I guess we'll roll with it to see what happens. Because in some cases, when you see that happen in books and in, in comics, you will see like there was a there'll be a follow up and flashback that says, oh, the reason why this happened was and it'll put it all in perspective. So I'm, I'm interested to see where we go with number four. Um, and yeah, I, the book is very, very pretty. I think Comedias's art is is wonderful. And Ryan Ferrier is not a bad writer. So fingers crossed. Um, we'll see if this book ends up well. I think this is the last issue of the series too, so that might also explain some of the pacing issues. But yeah, that's me. But yeah, let's uh, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to be talking about our Goodreads book of the month, On a Sunbeam by Tilly Walden. This is a big one, folks. So um, strap in, and I hope you've read all 536 pages of this monster of a book. We'll be back in just a second. This week on I Read Comic Books, we are talking about our Goodreads book of the month, which was picked by our wonderful people over at the Goodreads group, On a Sunbeam by Tilly Walden, published by First Second Publishing, originally published as a webcomic that you can read all online right now on a sunbeam.com. It's not the exact same thing as you're going to get in the OGN, but for the most part, the story is the same. So you can go and read that if you want to and pause the episode and come back to that after you've gotten through all 20 chapters, all 536 pages of this OGN. Um, And before we get into discussion, I want to warn you, full spoilers for this huge book called on a sunbeam if you haven't read it we're gonna spoil the whole ding dang thing so get ready uh kate kate what did you guys think of this this is a huge book i'm so glad that the goodreads folks picked it but i want to know what you guys thought of this volume i loved it so much it didn't feel huge to me because i just like it was so good that i was losing track of time as i read it i like straight up missed a meeting because i didn't set an alarm because i didn't think i needed to but I get got so sucked in that I just read for like two hours straight and then was like, oh, shit. Um, so <laughs> I like 
part of it is that it's just like super up my alley and in, in terms of things I like, like I love space operas, like A Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers. And it definitely reminded me a lot of that, like the found family aspect. There's a spaceship crew. There's a lot of LGBT representation. Um, there's like an interesting interplanetary history and politics and stuff that are a part of it. But then it has the added piece of just like gorgeous artwork to go with it that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it was just it was everything i love that everyone in this book is a girl and there's just like they're all into girls and it's just girls being into girls and being in space and being <laughs> awesome. i'm like hell yeah <laughs> i mean this book i think is the, the the quote on the back should be the future is female and that's it right <laughs> yeah like is there a single male character in this book i don't think there is no, I was trying to search through it, and I think someone on the Goodreads also brought that up. I could not find a single non-female character, unless there was someone in the background. I mean, or, or non. I guess there were no male yeah, characters that we were aware of, right? But there's, yeah, yeah, um, yeah th- there's no specifically male characters to my memory. So, yeah, Kate, Kate, what did you think, Lamphere? I so it is a truly gigantic book. I was very. Um, overwhelmed with the size of it and yet i still read it in two sittings so it's it's a very organic story it's very it's a very quick read even though that there are so many pages i don't think that there's really that much dialogue in comparison to the page count um i thought that this book was incredibly creative like all of the spaceships are koi fish (laughs) and um like the main occupation that we hear about in this story is building restoration um, in space and some of it's on planets and some of it's on asteroids and some of it's just on buildings that that seem to be floating by themselves and like that's enough of an occupation to make it you know you need whole teams and whole companies that are organized to do these things Mm -hmm. and that's that's really like it, it informs a lot of backstory of this universe without spelling anything out like it doesn't tell us that space was colonized and that there there are all of these places that have been abandoned um they're now being changed into like schools and museums and such like it's implied that there there are tons and tons of people that travel through space that have used these buildings and are going to continue to use these buildings but but we don't see all of that like it just it's so much world building but it's so tight and it, it doesn't really look look all that much past our main characters so that you get the story that you want with the people that the story is about. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's very character driven. Yeah. Um, and then there's the the staircase, which seems I think it's like an asteroid belt or a giant asteroid from what I could pick up. Um, but it's crumbling so all of the people that live there have moved underground and there are all these territory disputes and it's just this whole oh gosh i don't know it's that's just something that i haven't seen in science fiction necessarily sure that just the idea that like this this place has not been completely evacuated even though it's falling apart people are staying there because it's their home and they're they're trying to make it work even though, you know, the planet could crumble on them at any time. Yeah, th- there's like a, a Wild West frontier kind of idea that I think that they they establish in the in the story of, you know, there was this large, vast, unexplored parts of space that were habitable and people just kind of journeyed out even though it was against the law to go do that. And they settled and then they decided, you know what? 
a lot of places were like, okay, we will abide by these laws and whatever, and we'll come become part of the collective empire or whatever. I don't remember what they call yeah. it, um, except for the staircase. And then so the rest of the universe, the rest of this you know empire turned on them. And so they turned on the, on the empire as well, saying there's going to be no connection between our two societies, which I thought was really interesting. Um, but yeah, again, it, it, all of this stuff establishes this huge kind of implied sci-fi lore that i think in other stories they would spend pages you know dedicated to explaining maybe yeah. not directly like with prose but by you know character interactions or someone has to do with working on the other side of the law and instead we get a lot of that and the majority of it very late in the story yeah. after we've already established all of our characters you know we've got we've established the ship which was char um elma elliot Audrey and Mia are our protagonist. And then we get this other side of the story, which is Mia in school who meets, ends up meeting Grace and she's got some other friends. Um, well, they're not really friends, but some other people that she interacts with. And um, it's, it's interesting to see that even by, we, it's like the midway point. I think it's like chapter 10 is when we really start to get the, the world building lore, but that's so not important to the story that I think we've already been hooked into, which is Mia and Grace developing this relationship and Mia working on this ship and she's meeting and understanding all the people that work on the ship, like Char and Elma and Elliot have this very tight knit thing. And Audrey, who is Alma's um, niece is trying to like break into that. And she's like, well, we're all part of crucial. We should all be like friends and very, very tight and be a family essentially. And we see them grow before we even get any of the real Lord of the story outside of their builders. They go fix things that will be turned into other things. I, I found that stupendous. They did a really good job of you You functionally know what Mia, who is just out of high school, knows, and you care about and see the things that she like cares about. And so... Mm -hmm. Like she doesn't care, like she doesn't, isn't thinking about the history of the universe kind of thing until that becomes relevant to the story. What she's interested in is trying to figure out the dynamics of the crew and her new job and stuff like that. And so I thought that was really good. And she's clearly dealing with something, right? right. Like Mia comes into the story kind of. I don't want to say disheveled, but she comes into the story kind of being uncertain who she is. And she thinks that working on this ship, finding a position where she can do work and, and be a part of a crew will actually help fix whatever is wrong with her. And this, whatever that thing that is wrong with her in heavy quotes there, um, it seems to be stemmed from this lost love that she had when she was in school. And we don't really know how that comes to be until the very like middle of the book where we decide or we hear about what actually happened in the final days before um, Grace left this school and why Mia couldn't see her. And I, I was so impressed with how Tilly Walden focused on Mia's story and she gave us like day by day, you know, you know, month after month of story between her and Grace and going to school and not doing well, but like their relationship kind of kept Mia sane. And then when Grace leaves and Mia finally explains, oh, there were other friends, there was other things, I actually did well in school. Like I actually continued on, made new friends. I joined this Lux team, which is the sport in the game, which I want to get to in a second. Um and like she, she talks about all this stuff, but that's not relevant to the story that we're focused on here. We're, re we're, we're the story we're focused on is between her and Grace, and I love that that kind of got breezed over in in exchange for more stelly story, more developing of Grace, understanding who she is, and then this ultimate change in direction of the story where they decide we're going to go find Grace. And I, I, I love the way that that she did that. Yeah. 
But I, I don't know. This is, you know, we're kind of going all over the story here. But, you know, the, the story is Mia trying to f- figure out what how to essentially fill this void in her life. Um, and it turns out by the end of the book, you know, that she needs to go and say goodbye to Grace for whatever that means. She never got to say goodbye to Grace. And that's all she wants to do. And so, you know, finding this family, they all learn to love each other. And with that, they decide we're going to journey to the scariest place and the most dangerous place in the universe or the galaxy. And just so that Mia can get this final goodbye with Grace. And the way that, you know, it ends up is she tells Grace, come on, we're going to we're going to go. But in along the way, we find like I, I found every single character in this story extremely compelling. Like the more pages we spent with the crew, the more I fell in love with them. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys got the same vibe. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I. I really liked it. There were a few bits where I almost wanted it to go more in depth, like when um, or be stretched out more and which is crazy in a really long book. But there were there were parts of the story that definitely felt like an editor was like, no, no, we have to actually move here. (laughs) Like, sure, um, sure. So like you said, with the Lux is super cool. And I did want more of that in the story. Well, what? what, (laughs) So at one point in this story, they're you know they're playing this game Lux or they're talking about this game Lux. Do we ever really figure out what exactly Lux is, other than you ride on these miniature koi fish and you have to collect planets or something from they this like, great toss huge them into stadium? A dark void that's like all tunnels <laughs> and stuff, and you ride sure. around on these giant fish and catch them. I don't know. Yeah. Question mark. <laughs> I took it as a race. Like you have to do this yeah. and then do the first person back or something. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Like, I mean, with, the, the, with, the game does... Oh, go ahead, Kate. I was just like, with Mia being such a character who's very much looking for a sense of belonging and looking for her people, and, like, Grace is in part so important because that she's, like, the first person at the school that accepts Mia, and that, like, we just, on, like, a, a one panel, find out, oh, yeah, Mia actually found that with the team and with other kids, but, like, I'm like, oh... Like joining the team would have been such a big deal and like kind of finding your place in that. And I don't know, I, I'd be so on board with reading 500 more pages of this book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, there's a lot of story that seems very interesting and it like 500 pages is a lot. But yet there could be, like you said, another 500 pages that I think would be just as compelling. And you know, at the end of this book, Tilly Walden does say, you know, thank you to my editor who take who took this kind of all over the place webcomic and turned it into a, an OGN. Um, I have a feeling like if you read through the webcomic, there might be more or there might be some more scattered thoughts yeah. um, and other things, uh, which makes me almost want to go back and dig through it again. But it's a very long book. Like I did really, really enjoy it. But at the end of the day, it was it was long. I had to read it in like three sittings um, just to get through it. Um, not that it was a slog. It's just a lot of book to read. Yeah. But can we talk about some of the art in this book? Uh, uh, can we talk about how fucking beautiful Tilly Walden's art, which is very, very flat in my opinion, mm-hmm. um, but still so mesmerizing. Like there were pages where she did things that I was just like, holy fuck, this alone tells a story in just a few mixed panels where like you've got things bleeding and like water falling into each other. There was mm-hmm. a page that has like a scene from the past and a scene from the present and the scene from another place all like flowing together as if it was like three waterfalls falling into yep. each other. And I just 
had to stop and stare at that page, which might have been part of the reason why it took me so long to get through this. Because <laughs> some of the splash pages that she did there, and they're all single pages, yeah. um, are just beautiful. Like I could print that out and put that on a wall. Yeah, there's so many panels in this book that are like wall worthy. Um, I've I was really interested. What did you guys think about the color work and the color palette that was chosen for this book? Because that was a definite choice, and I kept kind of going back and forth on if I. Of like the line work is so so great, but then I was like, I wonder why they chose these specific color palette and the more muted colors. Yeah, I, I the muted colors were one thing. I mean, I noticed you know past typically has like a blue hue and present has a red, yeah. with the exception of Grace's flashback. Um, but I, I thought that that was a really interesting choice. And there's a moment where Grace and Mio run into each other near the end, and all of Grace's panels are in a blue hue and all of Mia's panels are in a red. And after that moment, that's where you start to see things with more blues, but or more blues and reds kind of coming together, but there's never any bright greens or bright yellows to add any more distinction. Everything was very much a blue and red, um, like heaviness. At least that's, that's the way right. I see it. I'm sure it there's some exceptions matted, to that. But. Kind of muted coloring. It, it, I was thinking of it in comparison to another um, space opera like Saga, where it's very bright colors, very vibrant. Um, and this was the right. exact opposite direction from that. Well, to me, I, I took a lot of that. And, and Kate, I want to also hear your thoughts. But I, I, I took a lot of that to be like, this story is very much a, it's, it's slower, Right, It's yeah. very slow in comparison to a lot of other sci-fi books that you would see. And I think that the sci-fi is still very much there. It's still very, very present and prevalent throughout the whole book. But because this is a story, and, and it is by Tilly Walden. I think if you've seen her other works, she tends to use a lot of muted colors in general. Okay. But I think if you take like th this kind of story and you try to put it with high neon colors, it would change the dynamic of everything. Yeah, right? I think, I think all right. the mute all the muted colors were crucial because I think that Walden wanted to express a level of slowness to the story. Like these are real moments happening in real time. And for the most part, especially, you know, people perceive things to be a bit slower. Um, I, mean, well, I guess that's, that's a huge generalization. I mean, that's, that's totally not true, but I think what she was trying to convey was that all of these moments should be perceived slower than what you're probably thinking would be happening, right? Because there's no real high-octane moments with the exception of the end um, when the ship's are, you know, wing is falling off while they're flying. But uh, I think that she wanted to make sure that you were taking things slower. And I think that the muted color palette really, really does that and forces you to kind of sit back and breathe with the book rather than get your heart rate going and start, you know, blazing through the pages. I would also say with her line work that if it was brighter colors it would be over-the-top psychedelic-y feeling, whereas the more muted colors made her kind of trippy line art um, less less trippy, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, and I think in the few cases where she does use some brighter colors, particularly like yellows, yeah. um, I think those are supposed to be particular... They're supposed to be specific, like, awesome moments. Right when the big storm is coming into the into the the school, you know, there's this humongous vortex outside of the window that like everyone's just like, yeah, this is scary, like a thunderstorm. And I'm like, there's a cosmic void growing above you. Okay, everyone's calm for the most part. With Mia was obviously upset; she was scared of it. But um, I, I I thought that that was really cool that she only really used those brighter colors 
Um, even then, they're still muted in a lot of ways. They're more white than they are bright yellow yeah. um, to convey like something awesome happening. Uh, and I think that was you'd find that to be consistent across the whole book. What did you think of it, Kate? Yeah, I definitely noticed color themes. I mean, the entire book has a color palette, but there are like specific colors that are specific to like a location. There's a specific tone of blue when Mia is in her boarding school. And then in the panels where she and Grace are together, there's a little like there's orange in almost all of them. And it gets more and more vibrant as they get closer and closer together. Like there's there's one big splash page and I think it's like their first kiss or something. And that blue is still there. But then you have like the entire page has this brilliant orange to it. I mean, it's still muted, of course, but like a, a much larger portion of the page is in color than almost any of the rest of the book. And that's true of like these big wow moments is that that color is more pronounced um, and more of the pages in color. But otherwise, I mean, I like that most of the art is black and white because I feel like black and white art really focuses you on the characters and on the actions and on the story and gives you less focus on the art. But then um, the color and how pronounced the color is kind of draws your eyes to certain things or gives you more of um, it, it kind of informs an, an kind of informs you on how emotional the characters are feeling like the more color there is the more the more emotional they are the exception seems to be the staircase like every time right whenever you're in the staircase there there's a lot of red and orange and yellow and i feel like that was really effective because like the rest of the settings really aren't that colorful and so the staircase it's it's already weird like we already know from the backstory and everything that the staircase is a really unusual place. And, you know, going back to how the planet is falling apart, it's very unique um, eco ecologically. <laughs> um, out in space, like this this crazy asteroid question mark <laughs> place. So mm -hmm. I feel like it, it, it was very, it was a very good idea to give the staircase its own color palette and its own emphasis and use that color really effectively. Um, and then yeah. just like, if, if you look at almost every page with color, there's, there's almost never more than two colors plus black on a page. For the most part, there's only one color plus black. Um, and that's really interesting. I feel like that was really effective, uh, effective and probably really efficient when the creators were putting together or creator was putting together this for a web comic because she probably only had to have, you know, two colors <laughs> up on her screen right. and could just, you know, use the fill button um, from a technical point of view. But then to print this must have been crazy expensive or they must have had to find a really specific printer to do it because you're still paying for four colors in a, in a book, especially a book this big. So I'm really glad that they didn't, make this grayscale or just black and white yeah. to print it. Yeah, I agree. Um, what, did, what did you guys think of the, the last like third of this book as the team kind of comes together or, or maybe we should, we should talk about like the first thir two thirds of the book first, you know, we were, we're exploring, you know, Mia and Grace's relationship. We're also exploring Mia kind of coming to know the rest of the team. Um, I guess, what did you think about like how the, the way that Walden like approached the character development, you know, and, and basically growing the group together? 
I think there were there were more scenes towards the end that didn't that felt a little off for me than earlier on. Um, mm-hmm. So, and maybe that's because I knew the characters well enough at that point to have a sense of what I thought they would do, and then sure. they didn't necessarily do that. So, for example, when Shar is put on leave because of the accident, and they get the new team leader assigned to them. Um, they're all nasty to her and there's a, the blow up moment where they all quit basically. And she's like, why have you been awful to me? And mm-hmm. so, so it, to me, I had been reading most, most of that. Like obviously she, so she disrespects Elliot's pronouns, but then she's also taking Shar's place and they clearly have no other, like no other outlet for the frustration of that. And the, of like having her of Shar being removed and having this new person put in, there's no other representative of the company there for them to kind of take it out on and also Mm -hmm. feel very much. I mean, most of the characters are teenagers slash young adults that were very attached to Shar as kind of a parental figure. And so this new team leader is like new stepmom coming in and they're like, no, fuck you. And then when they have their big blow up quit moment, though, that isn't said at all. They explain it to her as the entire reason we were like this to you and hate you is because you didn't care about Elliot's pronouns. And I'm like, I mean, that's part of it. That's part of how you knew new mom kind of sucked. But so, so much of it had to me was like, well, it's very obvious to me that they would be reacting to kind of the replacement of this person they love and the sure. and taking it out on the only person that they have there um, because Char's not even on the ship. She's back home. And so they're missing her and all that stuff. And so that that's one of the, just an example of scenes where by, by that point, I felt like I knew the characters well enough to have a sense of like, well, that doesn't make sense. So yeah. It, they're definitely I, I was also rubbed a little bit the wrong way by that scene as well, because it seemed like they needed another instance in the story where she did something that kind of disrespected the whole group. Yeah. Um, and, and they they explain it away. Right. They, they definitely explain it away by saying, oh, you know, you you think this is just a job and we think this is, you know, this is our family and stuff. But like we should have had a moment of that, like where they're saying, hey. Let's get together and do movie night. She's like, this is just a job, right. you know. Um, I, I wish that there had been like maybe one or two more moments like that. That could have been like two or three panels just to give us a situation where we understand why each of the characters are not liking this person. Because obviously, Elliot, that's that's that makes sense that they would be upset because it's a lack of respect of a yeah. person in general. Um, but I, I almost wanted to see like her disrespect everybody well, <laughs> to like really drive it home. Like was nice to everybody and was actually, and then it would still make sense to me that they would hate her. But like, that was one of the parts where I talked about earlier that I wanted more in there because it felt rushed. That's definitely mm-hmm. a part that felt rushed to me. The whole segment where they have this other person um, yeah. take the place of a really important crew member. Yeah. But you know, I think to that point though, I did like that the team kind of came together. Like it was proof that they were a family right. and that they weren't going to let one person's disrespect get let go. Right. You know, um, if you, if it's, you know, when you insult one of us, you insult all of us yeah. kind of thing. And I, I, I found that to be really important in the story. 
I agree. I think another point like that for me was when Grace at the end does go with them with very little hemming and hawing. She's just like, yeah, sure, I'll <laughs> abandon all my family and everyone I know and love and maybe never see them again. I haven't right, seen you in right. five years, but like, you know, whatevs. Like that felt very like, I almost would have liked the ending better if she said no and it was just a goodbye. Yeah. But yeah, I her going. I, yeah. I and and it, that if they like made it make sense, like her talking to her sisters about like, I don't know, I think this might be right for me. And the, you know, like just the whole thinking about it versus just like, yeah, sure. Here we go. Yeah. It's, it's a problem. I think that you, that, that I think you kind of write yourself into a corner of where, Obviously, things are very rushed. Like, this place is falling apart and being above ground is dangerous. So, they can't spend a lot of time thinking about it. So, it needs to be a split decision. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with you on that. Uh, Kate, did you have any any thoughts about, like, the first two-thirds of the book in terms of, like, characters growing together and all that stuff? Because I do want to talk about, like, the last third um, and the reconciliation and all that stuff that happens. But um, before we get into that, I want to make sure we've covered at least the first two-thirds. Yeah, Um I, I feel pretty much the same way as you guys. I feel like it was also done really effectively. Like, I mean, it was, I feel like if I had been a panel by panel reader online as it was coming out, I would have felt kind of um, a little bit of disappointment or maybe whiplash because there is a point in the story where it just suddenly changes to focus on the backstory in the, in the boarding house or the, the school mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and I feel like if I had been a reader online, I might have gotten sick of that and, and missed our characters from the current timeline, the ship, um, because you get so you get so attached to them. And then suddenly the story isn't about that for a little while. Yeah. Um, yeah. But reading it uh, cover to cover in two settings, you know, like it, I just, you know, breezed pretty much through the whole thing. So I just feel like it was done really effectively where you, you get attached to all of these characters at different times in the book for different reasons. And then they're Mm -hmm. all connected by, by Mia or Maya. Um, and yeah, I I think it was really, it was a really good, good setup for the the third third. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean that, that final third where the book takes a sudden left turn in a lot of ways, or maybe that's what it was building towards. Um, so it wasn't really a left turn so much, but you know, you know, Mia breaking down and telling everybody basically what happened and they're all being very upset and feeling for her. I felt was like a true sign of camaraderie and honesty among friends that I, I love the way that it's portrayed. Like these, this group of, of people, they're so close to each other that they would feel just as upset as Mia does about what had happened just from her telling a story. Um, and you know the, the, that the whole moment where she she's uh, where Mia is you know telling the story and she cut she cuts back and they're all crying and it was it was just a very very nice moment um, and they all 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 decide yeah we're fucking going to do this because Elliot knows what's happening out here and we know that we can get there because we we've, we've been there before um, I thought it was a pretty fun reveal that Grace hired Char and Alma to you know basically her family hired Char and Alma to get her to this school to learn, um, which, which in hindsight, you know, like is kind of a, a thing that her mom was pushing to say, Hey, you know, this woman, this girl, she needs to go see the world. Um, and that's, that's important for her. And that's something that she wants to do, which kind of makes the decision that she makes at the end, a little bit, make, make a little bit more sense where she wanted to go out and see the universe in order to write about it because she wanted to be a writer. Um, but nonetheless, um, I, I, I like that, you know, we got that whole bit and the, the whole port, 
point of the the story that she's telling everybody that you know she didn't get a chance to say goodbye because this bully had locked her in some room like it was so so tragic and it like really made me just angry in the moment as I was reading it because I knew what was coming and that moment where Grace is sitting there and she's crying and she's saying no just give her another minute she's gonna come she's gonna come say goodbye and her sisters are like no we have to go right now um it's just heart-wrenching um and I like that that moment led immediately into the present day in the story of them saying okay we've got to fucking go to the staircase we need to plan to do this I, i really enjoyed that yeah i like that too i will say that it didn't that that was another point that made less sense to me later in the story when i was looking at it i was like well of why would they send grace to this school in the first place doesn't feel like it was actually articulated very much if at all because it's like we're risking our child's life breaking the law And we didn't do this for any of our other children, as far as I can tell. And Mm -hmm. so we clearly have some education system here. Why are we doing this with our child and risking never seeing her again? Like that, that whole thing was, that just didn't make sense to me. Um, Yeah, it was, it was kind of vague, but like, I think Grace explains that like there was some sort of agreement worked out right because her parents or her mom right is like the head of this government right. essentially right because They're she is the, the matriarch rule. <laughs> yeah and so they worked something out with the school and that's why grace had her own special room and all this other stuff she couldn't get in trouble because they didn't want to risk retaliation from the staircase which kind of begs the question of like how much power do these people have like <laughs> that they can kind of put this this girl in this place where she can almost do no wrong because they are worried about some sort of retaliation from the family. So um, again, this is one of those things where I would read another 150 pages just yeah. to understand the like dynamics of this universe, but it wasn't necessary for the story to be, to tell the right. story between of me and grace. That's right. the thing. And it, that, that goes back to the point of, we really only learn about the parts that grace would care about. And I don't think grace's yeah. big concern is why did your parents let you come or make you ha- decide to have you go to the school in the first place? It's why are you leaving? How do I see you again? Yeah. 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 I think Mia like not questioning a lot of that stuff until the very end is kind of like a sign of her character of like, I don't care, you know, backstreet yeah. boys. I don't care who you are, where you're from, oh as God. long as you love me kind of thing. <laughs> come on, come on. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, you know, this, the story does turn into a bit more action oriented, kind of like there's suddenly a pressure on, which is a, 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 quite a change in pace um, from the first two thirds of the book as Mia decides, Hey, we got to go see this. I need to say goodbye to her. Um, and, you know, by the end of it, I think it's 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 very like even when they go to visit like Char on the planet and she's got this this whole beautiful lush greenery um, place where they live. Like, do people just live on their own planets or something like that was my question, but I ignored it. Um, I really like that Audrey was very excited. She's like, oh, my gosh, grass. And I think that's the first time in the story we see any, any shade of green, yeah. um, like true green that's not mixed with blue. Um, it's it's a very clear like definition of a different type of place that they're at you know like the staircase is very rocky and it seems to be covered in some sort of red rock um and the the academy is all blues and whites uh that means that i took to be like you know it's very clean and it's very uh like lit by like fluorescent lights and things like that but the the planet that char is on or wherever she's staying is her home is is this lush green earth-like world um and it's it's just a, a a small 
showing of the the range of whatever this universe is that the story takes place in. Um, and I, I thought that it was very interesting that it was so unique for just Char's planet to have grass. Um, that yeah, I, I I really dug it. But the thing that I wanted to to get to with the last third was like suddenly all of our characters in the last third of the book have very different roles, right? Um, I, you know, Mia is trying to go find Grace. Um, Elliot's backstory is revealed and their backstory is wild. Um, you know, they had, I, I, before I get to it, whatever, uh, you know, and all of a sudden Audrey becomes like this, falls into this place where she meets like a fucking spirit god or something um and becomes like a speaker for it for a moment and uh char and alma have to kind of deal with their their underlying issues that they have between you know alma wanting to have this life of adventure and char wanting to do things by the book because it's safe um and they have to find a balance between that i thought that the sudden switch was was interesting and it it didn't feel like it was very abrupt but it didn't feel like out of character for anyone to be in these positions, right? Like Audrey was the type of person that would go explore. Mia only cares about what her heart is thinking. Um, Char and Alma need to figure out what the fuck is happening between the two of them because obviously as much as they love each other, they clearly have some issues that they need to work out and they refuse to actually settle them or are, in the case of this book, interrupted while they're trying to have those discussions. Um, I I really like the the change, um, though it was very, very abrupt. I, I wanted to hear what you guys thought about that. I liked it a lot. I liked the, the, the getting the backstory for more characters and seeing more development mm-hmm. there. I was very worried that Audrey was going to die at the end. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know about you guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, she got to go talk to this cool giant wolf, but um, at what cost? <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> That's all I could think of. Yeah. I liked the kind of speeding up as the stakes got higher. I thought that that, it, it played really well as a climax to the series and to the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess, um, I don't know. I, I, I think I've said a million times, you know, I liked the way that this book went. Um, I thought that the, the ramp up at the end was really, really cool. Um, and I enjoyed the ending. Like I felt like the book had a very satisfying ending, all things considered. Um, but yeah, did you guys have any, any last thoughts about this before we wrap up here? No, uh, just I I want to I just want to read more Tilly Walden at this point. <laughs> that was exactly yeah, yeah. what I was going to say, Kate. I already have placed the hold order from my library and of course they're all like other people already have them checked out, but um put them on hold for my library that's doing curbside pickup now so that we can um get get library books even though the library isn't open to the public. Um so yeah, I especially want to read the one about figure skating that she has. That spinning, I think, is yeah. what it was. Yeah, I've heard only stupendous things about that. But yeah, well, I guess you know if, if you I would would love we'd love to hear what everybody else thinks about this. We did have some comments on the Goodreads um, thread, but no one said it was okay to air. So make sure if you're going to go on Goodreads, you're going to comment post okay to air. But you know, thank well, you to everyone who had a chance to read this. Air. I mean, it's totally cool to also talk and not want your stuff read. <laughs> That's true. That's true. If you want to come and chat with us, um, this was a huge book, but I'm very glad that we got a chance to read it because I know that this was like a, an award-winning book, or at least award-nominated book. Um, and Tilly Walden is a very respected, you know, creator. I think she's done some amazing work, and I can't wait to read more of her stuff. Um, 
But yeah, beyond that, I guess, thank you, Kate and Kate, for being on the show. You can follow us all on the internet. You can follow Kate at Kate Elfier. You can follow me at Mike Rappin, and you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast on Instagram and on Twitter. And Kate, I don't know if Kate Scott, just I don't know if you were using your Twitter. I don't remember if it was on or off or whatever, but... Um, for a hot second, it's private again. Uh, the show and our mini subscriber-only podcasts are powered by fans like you on Patreon. Join now at patreon.com slash IRCB Podcast. If you haven't already, please rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also join us on Discord at ircbpodcast.com backslash Discord and make sure to tell a friend or two about the show. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all the music for our show. We love them to death. Xander is a very cool guy. He is a fantastic GM and he's also the editor of our show. Thank you so much to Xander for all the work that he does. I want to say thanks to Kate and Kate for being on the episode. I want to say thank you to everyone out there who listens to the show. It means the world to us that you spend time with us as we get closer to episode 300. I can't believe it. Until next time, though, stay healthy, comics are good, and so are you.